This is Alexander Sadig and you are listening to Stars End Podcast. Like, wouldn't you be a little worried about Demoiselle that, that she can do that? I would I would uh, not turn my the small of my back to her. Definitely <laughs> not. Hello and welcome to Season 4 of Star's End, the podcast dedicated to Isaac Asimov's classic sci-fi series Foundation. I'm John and together with my co-hosts Stan and Joseph, we'll be watching and talking about Season 2 of Apple TV's Foundation series, episode by episode. We're glad you've decided to join us. Welcome, welcome, welcome to season four of the podcast they tried to ban at Streeling University. The podcast that is unconverted by the mule. The podcast that was given three prime radiance by Hologram Harry in the living section of the Terminus City Times. The podcast that takes no static from the Cleon clones. The podcast that knows the true location of the Second Foundation. Yes, that's right. It's the Star's End podcast. It's season four. And the reason why it's season four is because... We are about to get new episodes of the TV show from Apple Plus. Their season two, our season four. We're very excited. And today we're going to talk about maybe some topics left over from season one, what we're hoping for, what we're expecting from season two. I throw it open to my colleagues, Dan and Joseph. What do you think about, well, do you have anything left over from season one that you want to talk about? Yes. Yes, I hear a yes. So that what? was wild ride. I went that my God, that was a space opera epic for the ages and so confusing. <laughs> well, what what was what was confusing? Oh what left you confused? Like so many things. Like, for instance, did we ever get a resolution onto whether whether the uh, series respected the spirit of the books. Do does individual agency matter or not? And then little things like, how the hell is Shadow Master Obrecht surviving without being cloned himself from like fifty years earlier? And I, you know. Like, where's the Invictus coming from? Like, we didn't beat that to death and when we watched it the first time. We did beat it a little bit to death. Yeah, we did. Well, actually, I mean, along those lines, Rick, who we went on his show, he came on our show, has finally gotten around to watching season one. And I asked him what he thought about it. And he said he really liked it, but he thought that this might be a show where unfamiliarity with the source material might be a good thing yeah 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 i look i want to go back to the first thing that you brought up dan whether it respected the the books the source material and for example whether psycho you know how psychohistory was treated and where did it come down on personal agency did it really care 
Um, I, I think they, they they definitely paid at least lip service to it. They kept kind of touching it and then leaving it. I feel like season one was sort of a, they, they used the source material as a springboard into doing whatever it is that they want to do. But the actual, to extend the metaphor, the actual dive that they're doing is very different from the one that Asagasimov did. But even up to the very end, they sort of paid lip service to that question that you asked, because I will point to the case of Salver Hardin, who was getting visions from the vault, who was convinced that she was super important, that she was predicted by psychohistory, you know, that she had been crucial to the completion of Harry's plan. And when she met Hologram Harry, he kind of said, well, thanks for bringing the Invictus over, but I have no idea who you are. But, you know, but thanks for thanks for playing. So, again, they 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 did sort of touch on that. There was Salver thinking she was so important. And really, Hologram Harry was like, yeah, somebody else would have done it if you hadn't. Yeah, I agree with that take. And, you know, I, I'll also add like a lot of Gail's conversations with with Hologram Harry, with Rach, you know, actually, like they keep bringing up lines like, I want to feel like my choices matter, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It shows me like, yeah, like this is this is whoever was in the writing room, writer's room like knew about this quandary and was paying attention to it. And I think springboard is a good word, John. I mean, it, you know, I don't know. Like I'm still kind of undecided about where the show will come down on, on the question. I, I don't know where Asimov exactly. Well, that's, that's, that's a very good point. Where did Asimov yeah. come down on it? Because yeah. Asimov's foundation certainly was vulnerable to the mule who was an unpredictable mutant, which strikes me as a tremendous weakness in the plan. I mean, if you have that many quadrillions of people, you're going to get some wild mutations. And to say that my plan doesn't work if mutations happen, that's that seems like a pretty big weakness to me. And also, of course, with the mule, there's that whole thing about the mule supposedly being from Gaia, which is to spoil the sequels that we haven't even gotten to yet. But that's a weird and kind of problematic thing like that. Asimov threw that in there. He never really did anything with it, but it leaves you kind of going, huh? About what has come before. Yeah. And the, the, the whole, we couldn't predict the mule because that breaks our entire plan is really undermined by Wanda Selden and the, and the, the fact that, you know, they were working on, they were, you know, working on mental powers as they were building the foundation. That shouldn't be unexpected. That should well, have been baked into the math. Yeah, I guess that that Asimov had to come up for a come up with a way that the people of the second foundation had mental powers because mm-hmm. certainly in the original series and in the sequels, they had mental powers. Mm-hmm. And he had to explain how they came up with people who had that. That's right. And, and it turns coming out his, up with, his granddaughter was a mutant. Right. His granddaughter was a mutant. I mean, I, I guess that it could have been some sort of mental training that they could have done, but they settled on, he settled on the mutant, which, yeah, that, how does that square with the mule? And it's through. Yeah. So we're, we're, we're back to talking about Asimov rather than talking about the, the TV series. Here's, here's one from the TV series that I brought up with you guys recently. The, the murder of, and spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't watched, if you haven't watched the series, why are you listening to season four of this podcast? Just go back and listen to season two of our podcast and watch the show. So yeah. here we are. 
or watch the show and then listen to some Dula. You, you underestimate like our magnetic personalities. That's true. I'm sure I, we're, we're just drawing. And that's not easy to do. We are drawing in mass market. Okay. Like audience. So I'm going to spoil something from season one of the show, which is that Demerzel murders brother Dawn uh, in a, in a very climactic scene. And the question is that has always been there is if Demerzel is a three laws robot, which is never explicitly stated in the show, it would be very, very difficult, even with the zeroth law, for her to kill someone with her own hands. And she has a pretty bad reaction. She winds up tearing her face off afterwards. And I started to think about that in light of her religiousness, which is, by the way, a whole other topic, the yes. religious robot. But as a luminist, she may believe that, well, one of two things, or both of them, she may believe that the Cleons don't have souls. What's her name? Zephyr Halima. Whom she, you, Zephyr Halima. Kills. Whom she also Whom she kills. also kills. That's true. <laughs> Demerzel is a dangerous robot. <laughs> The hand in the small of the back, the tears. Talk about crocodile tears. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so I was thinking she's a religious luminist. And if she if she uh, follows Zephyr Halima, she would believe that the Cleons have no soul. And so therefore, killing Brother Dawn would not be like killing a person with a soul. On the other hand, if she follows the other Zephyrs and the main line of luminism, then she believes in reincarnation. And therefore, murdering Brother Dawn, I suppose you could justify by saying well he'll just be reincarnated in the next version of brother dawn or somewhere else and i wanted to throw that out there to you guys and see whether you think that's legit whether you think maybe that was what the the producers were thinking or whether i'm just completely off base on that no i mean actually i think well it makes sense although <laughs> things that make sense aren't necessarily the, the stuff that we get in the show but um but it absolutely could be and there's you know the, you got the the tripartite god of the luminists of whom demerzel may be some sort of origin it's been put out there by some of our listeners that she might be the origin of that because yeah, but, she did say she walked the spiral eleven thousand years ago that's a long long time it is indeed Longer than any religion I think we have on Earth. Yeah, I think Zoroastrianism is considered the oldest of the sort of known religions. And what is Zoro? It could be as old as five or six thousand years old. You know, you look at you look at Catholicism. There's the Holy Trinity, which which is parallel. There's there's apparently three branches of Christianity. You know, may, maybe that's the parallel with with the the three luminous, luminous gods. But I mean, there's there's certainly evidence with christianity that not everybody is considered fully human wow well so that you know that could be what they were thinking when when demerzel did that i i don't know it was a shocking and very powerful scene yes for sure i don't think anyone saw that coming especially brother dawn he didn't see that coming <laughs> and uh even like brother uh brother day and, and brother dusk they were so shocked. They were in the middle of a huge, like, wrestling fight kind of thing, like a, a slap fight. And, and they just stopped and stared. You know? <laughs> like, what was that all about? Wouldn't you be worried then if you were one of the surviving Cleons that if, if Demerzel is capable of killing one of you, can you fully trust? And, and not just one, because she did do the thing in the small of the back previously with, uh, with the previous Brother Dusk. Like, wouldn't you be a little worried about Demerzel that, that she can do that? I would I would uh, not turn my 
this ball on my back to her. Definitely not. <laughs> yeah, I, I think at, at some point, like maybe this coming season, Demerzel is going to kind of go, you know, have a YOLO moment and she's she's just going to go rogue, whatever that means to a, a, a luminous robot. Well, that'll be fun to see. Yeah, well, I mean, if she's not, I mean, and I, I think like, well, I mean, we joked about, uh, we joked about Gilbert Gottfried, but I think all sorts of crazy crap is going to start happening with the Cleons. Like you the know. genetic deviance is going like, to get like the genetic deviance, and yeah. if and if um, if Demerzel is loyal to Empire, you know, are these flawed copies now worthy of worthy of that? And we did have the question from last season where we, I think, as a group, believed that Demerzel was somehow involved in the deviation, the genetic deviation of the Cleons, and they they never really address that maybe we'll get some sort of resolution of how that actually happened but, you know we saw her singing to the baby and all this stuff and we thought maybe she was manipulating things certainly a very interesting character which which actually kind of brings me back to what i think is the best part of season one which is that there were so many great characters and great performances certainly the cleons which were not in the books uh, were performed extremely well by um the three actors who portrayed them, plus the little kid, his name I don't remember. I, you know, in the previews, we've seen a lot of Lee Pace. I do not believe we have seen uh, Terrence Mann mm. or Cassian Bilton, who played the other versions of Cleon. Uh, certainly, Lee Pace was very popular among the fans. Yeah. It, but it, I wonder if they've abandoned the three Cleons and they're just going with the Brother Day now. Interesting question. It's possible. Yeah. Well, <laughs> one of the things that i've been pondering is is that you know the cleons we, we so we know that there's the, the the flawed genetics but i mean they have such capacity for such ex, extreme and horrible reactions but they're all fairly self-assured what if suddenly we have very insecure cleons with that capacity that could be far worse it could be Certainly, they were extremely arrogant. I think that that's safe to say. What would an insecure Cleon be like? I'm, I'm just having a struggle trying to. I don't know, Vladimir Putin, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Yikes. <laughs> well, yeah. There's probably there's probably plenty of uh, you know plenty of examples in politics. Well, that's that was kind of the interestingly enough what what Asimov kind of pondered in uh in the bel rios section of foundation and empire you know the kind of the three kinds of emperor you could have or the three kind the combinations you could have a a weak emperor with a weak general and then nothing would ever happen but a strong emperor with a weak general you know the empire the emperor would would be in command of his generals and there'd never be expansion of the empire you know the weak emperor with the strong general the strong general would turn inward and and uh and, and so again there wouldn't be expansion of the empire and there's the the strong emperor with the strong general which is what what happened where that there would immediately be suspicion of any success that the strong general had and and uh and the emperor would recall a general which is what happened to bel rios and and he was unable to have conquests out in the in the periphery so i don't know i i don't know what a weak cleon <laughs> would look like 
Certainly it was a compelling character and certainly did some horrible things. Genocide of a couple of planets, what he did to uh, Azura, the uh, the plotter, how he found every family member to the nth degree, every acquaintance, every acquaintance of an acquaintance. And then with just a flick of his hand, with his little gesture, they were all executed so that her very existence was erased. Uh, that was a pretty powerful scene. Yeah. Pretty horrible. Every time you start kind of liking Cleon, he does something like that. You know? And of course, there was the whole thing with him walking the spiral and not getting a vision. Although, to be fair to Cleon, that should not necessarily be a signifier of anything. Because the way they said it, they said if you make it to the center, you might get a vision. Mm-hmm. They didn't say if you don't get a vision, it means you're a soulless husk. Right. They meant they said if you're lucky, you might get one. And well, so it doesn't necessarily mean anything that Cleon didn't. I mean, we we know that it kind of does, but it doesn't that's unnecessary. You know, I, I think I, I just rewatched that scene. And um what really stuck with me is not the lack of a vision itself, but but the way in which uh Demerzel kind of needled him about it oh she zinged him bad because she she knows he was lying but she's like you know uh i to to after going through all that for someone not to have a vision that is like a a a, just a cold and emptiness that i wouldn't wish on anybody so i'm so glad that you did (laughs) (laughs) and she the robot yeah not one like what is what in the world is that i mean the whole question of her religiousness is odd but the fact that she then got a vision, very, very interesting what that implies. And, and and then the other thing about that walking the spiral is that it appeared to be a pretty profound experience for Cleon. You know, it was, it was physically very stressful. He nearly didn't make it. He met that guy, you know, who touched him apparently. And, and then at the end, he still lies about having had a vision. Like he's still, he's still in character. He's still on the game, the grift. He's not going to admit he didn't get a vision. He's still going to use it for political purposes. So that yeah. that goes to the extreme arrogance that those guys have. Yeah, absolutely. I I'm looking forward to the hints of religion that we're going to get thematically in season two. Uh, so we know, uh, I think we know that uh, Polly Verasov is all grown up, and he's going to be the 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 pope of some kind of uh, foundation religion do we see him in the previews i i don't think he appeared in the so i have a problem with Polly Verasov. what's your which problem? is that he was like 12 right when we saw him oh and and then salver goes off and gail finds salver 150 years later and then presumably they somehow make their way back to terminus how in the world is Polly Verasov still going at the age of 162 or something as the Pope of some religion? Well, you have no idea what the lifespans are. <laughs> He's, I'm going to go ahead and assume they're basically what we have. Maybe he takes a trip too, you know? Well, that's possible. Yeah. You know, I mean, certainly if we're, if we're going at all roughly by the schedule of the books, crisis two is religion, right? Right. So, you know, it's it's certainly reasonable to expect that. Maybe it's 
Maybe it's Polyverisov the third. It could be. Yeah, they're, they're he's a pol. There are poly polys. Many poly polys. He's uh, okay. he's somehow some sort of genetic copy of Polyverisov. Perhaps <laughs> made the old fashioned way. <laughs> Yeah, who so, needs um, kids? Let's just copy ourselves. Yeah. Ad infinitum. Yeah, then we can bring back whatever character we want. So I I mean, but I'm curious. Like, assuming they do go this route, I'm curious to see what like the church of Harry Seldon looks like. Well, it is interesting, although I have to say uh, it does look like what they're billing as crisis two is the war between the empire and the foundation yeah it's too early yeah and theoretically we should get bell rios and you know what gail dornick mentioned hober mallow in the voiceover narration of episode one now she has also said that she's an unreliable narrator so maybe she's unreliable to the extent that we're really not getting hober mallow (laughs) <laughs> i felt like hugo books, i felt like hugo season one was kind of hober mallow kind um, of so let me let me voice with this on 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 the table let me voice a fear of mine which is that okay foundation it's no secret that season one received very mixed reviews it's a very expensive show to make maybe they're feeling like they want to pull out all the stops to make in writing season two to make sure it gets renewed for a season three. Well, we know that it's been renewed for season three, though that doesn't mean that season three will ever be shown. Well, the way these streaming services are going, like they'll, they, they could, you know, make season three and then flush it down the toilet for a tax refund. Right. And then wipe season one and season two off. Like they do in Azura on season one and season two, where they, they kill them and all of their acquaintances. Uh, but, but anyway, like my my hope is that if they are feeling this pressure, that they don't let the writing become too rushed. Like you could, yeah. you, like you're you can ruin a TV show by trying to pack too much into it. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, the ultimate example of that, yeah. Although maybe it didn't necessarily ruin it, is Babylon Five where J. Michael Straczynski's original plan was a five-year exactly. run. right? And during season three, they told him it was not getting a fifth season. So they very quickly rewrote season four to conclude the Shadow War, which was the main story of, right. of Babylon 5. And then they did renew it for season five, and they had to come up with something in season five, even though the main story was completed halfway through season four. And so season five, let us just say, suffered from that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it was the, it was basically supposed to be the, that, that was, I think that was basically supposed to be the B plot underneath. Um, and a bunch of characters left and everything. It was, you know, I, I'm, I'm not a fan of season five of Babylon 5, to be honest. I think if I was going to pitch something to a, uh, to a streaming service now, I would not pitch six seasons in a movie to quote community or eight seasons that David Goyer wants out of foundation. I think the smart thing to do is tell a one season story because it, it seems to me my, my pet theory of the economics of streaming. And it, it seems to be borne out by every action of the streaming services is that they want to get new subscribers and that new shows get new subscribers, subsequent seasons of existing shows may hold on to subscribers, but I don't think they value that as much as they value getting new subscribers and they don't believe that subsequent seasons of existing shows get new subscribers. So after season one, your show is in danger. 
That's and my yet, theory. And yet I'm probably going to drop Paramount Plus as soon as Strange New Worlds is over until they've got another Star Trek on. Well, I, again, I'm not saying that that is necessarily smart. I'm right. just saying it appears to be what they're doing. And what right. they're doing with Star Trek you know with by by wipe not just canceling prodigy but by wiping it off the service it it just boggles the mind it's like they've got no one out there taking the temperature of the star trek community which is right out there we're all on social media yep and either the financial benefit of erasing prodigy was so great that it doesn't matter how much they piss off the fandom or they they just take us completely for granted and think whatever Star Trek they throw at us we're going to watch, which you know they may be right about that. But it's just it just seems so tone deaf. Yeah, like how and much I mean, does it real? How much do they really gain from wiping Prodigy off the servers? I, I, well, I mean, and it's 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 worse than just canceling it and removing it because they're they've invested they've invested resources in making a second a second season, which I would happily watch even if it were crappy. Now I was originally under the impression they're going to show that second season, but maybe not. Maybe they're. I don't. Just, yeah, I don't think they are. I, I think if they were going to do that, then they would have, uh, you know, kept product. You know, kept the. They wouldn't have dumped the first season off of the the service. Yeah, I guess there's talk of trying to get someone else to pick it up. I don't know. I just I just get the impression more and more and more that the economics of showmaking is such that. Every subsequent season is less valued than the previous ones. I mean, look at the Orville. Everybody wants a new season of the Orville. Yep. And they are just showing complete indifference to, you know, the Orville's already moved from one service to another. And I guess they're on Hulu now, owns the Orville. And they're showing absolutely no inclination to make a new season of the Orville. And well, except didn't it shift from, from Hulu to Disney Plus? I thought it went the other way, but who, who knows? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I can't keep track. And but yeah, but whoever it is that owns it now is being begged by the fandom to make a new season, and they're they're not even responding. They're not saying yes or no, but it's like they're just it's like not even worth putting out a statement. So I I have worried from the beginning about the ambitiousness of this show that wants to do eight seasons. If I had to bet, I would not be taking the it's gonna go full eight seasons bet. Yeah, I'm rather skeptical of that as well. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna take the other side of that bet. No. In fact, I think odds are pretty good that season three that they're already committed to is in fact going to be the last season. As you said, it, it got mixed reviews. The it was mixed among the fans whether it was had to be faithful to the book. It clearly was not so faithful to the book. How big a difference that made? I yeah, and the expense. It is a very expensive show. And they were really seemed to be looking at that as something that would generate a whole bunch of awards and it that didn't come close. No, and also like a big tent pole for Apple Plus that was just gonna be like their big drawing point. And that's really, you know, shows like Ted Lasso mm-hmm. um have just been so much more successful. So I, I do worry about foundation, which is why the, the those people should get on our podcast and should, you know. Instead of doing whatever garbage podcasts they're doing, they should be on our podcast. <laughs> really generating buzz among the fans. Or, you know, if they're, if they're worried about saving money, we could take over that whole podcast thing. <laughs> <laughs> I think we could issue a blanket guarantee of softball questions only, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah. Sure. Uh-huh. Wink, wink. Lots of positive reinforcement. Oh, yeah. We'll, we'll give you a gold star. 
tell you how handsome you are. We'll, we'll mail you cookies. <laughs> yes, we'll give them the Canadian treatment. We'll be very polite. <laughs> Apologize a lot. <laughs> Bless your heart. Yeah, no, I don't. <laughs> that, that, that's the wrong, wrong that way. one. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Goyer, bless your heart. Bless your heart. <laughs> what were you thinking when you did the following? But I enjoyed the first season. I mean, I didn't feel like I was yeah. wasting my time. I would have watched it even if I wasn't doing a podcast. I mean, yeah. it, was, it was good. And yeah, it dipped a little in the mid-season, but then it, it picked up. The last three episodes I thought were extremely strong, Yep, including the one directed by David Goyer himself, which was the final episode. And I'm curious what they're going to do. I, I, As I've said, in, you know, when we watched the trailer, I don't see much that seems to connect to the books in the trailer, other than that there's a war between the Foundation and the Empire. Yeah, which means we're in, we're completely past the Foundation and we're into Foundation and Empire. Well, yeah. that you know that again, if they're really thinking about shortening the the run, which mm-hmm. would be wise, maybe they've decided to do Foundation in season one, Foundation and Empire in season two, and second Foundation in season three. And then if they get additional seasons, they can move to the sequels or or just make their I mean, they don't have to move to the sequels that Asimov wrote. They can, you know, write their own sequels. That would actually be kind of smart. Right. Because then you'd get to the end of the story in season three, but you could also make sequels if you got the opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've thought for a long time that that shows should just be doing that reflexively. Yeah. Well, as I said before, I mean, I, I would not be pitching to a streaming service something that's longer than a single season. And tell my story and get out and you know here i you know people who make uh entertainment shows often come to me for my opinion and want to know what my <laughs> advice is so this is free i, I don't even charging for this but like i look at a show like silo which i mean i wonder how expensive that is to make i mean i think this set is got to be pretty expensive i mean i'm sure it's it's obviously a lot smaller than the silo that they're making, but it's, there's nothing super high tech about it. It's a, it's a good engaging combination, sci-fi murder mystery type show. I really enjoy it. I'm sorry that the season's over, but it seems to me that it's got to be much cheaper to make than foundation. Very little in the way of special, special effects. Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've just watched episode one, so don't spoil anything for me. But um, like you, even like the costuming, you know, I mean, post post apocalyptic kind of grungy, dirty yeah. stuff is is, you know, like much cheaper than all these like imperial costumes. So you haven't gotten to the point where the silo goes to visit the Titanic and implodes. Uh, uh, no, no. Oh, I'm, oh, sorry. sorry I'll, look, I'll look forward to that. Um, that was terrible. I should I should not have said that. That was an absolutely terrible thing to say. You can you can delete that if you like. You know, maybe I will because that was just that's in very. I mean, a lot of people are making submersible jokes these days, but like it's in very bad taste. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, well, maybe, maybe we'll get a, a budget look for season two. I mean, it's it still, it still drives me crazy that no one's ever made a canticle for Leibowitz. Like, like, again, you wouldn't need high tech sets, right? You would nothing, not. Just, you need, it's all back, you know, reversion to old tech. Yeah. I mean, the, the highest it gets in the novel is the, um, basically 20th century tech. Yeah. And like at the end, there's a rocket ship launch, which you could do cheap. <laughs> it's been done. And a nuclear war. Yeah, but I mean, it's, it's all going to be more expensive than Ted Lasso, I can guarantee. 
bet Ted Lasso wasn't. I bet it was more expensive than you think. But still, yeah. Well, I bet know, by like, the time it got to season three, the actors were making a decent chunk. Yeah, you're going to Amsterdam. You know, filming on on location. Uh, I, I really enjoyed it. Ted Lasso, another one that that you know, it was fun. It was it was a very upbeat, fun show. Season three was definitely service to the fans. Yeah, that question, especially the final episode. But again, I won't spoil that. There's no there's no implosion scene in Ted Lasso in the final episode. Okay, stop it. Stop. I'm stopping it. No more implosion jokes. Otherwise, our podcast would be in danger of imploding. So, what else? What are we? What are we? Um, did anything catch your eye in looking at the previews, the, the the trailers for season two? Okay, well one one thing. So we get we get another up close shot of a very angry Bishop's Claw, right? As we do the trailer, and that it reminds me that that's one thing that is unresolved from season one. Like, what's because remember we get some indication that there's this the Bishop's Claw are telepathic or something like they're sending these messages to Salvor and like giving Salvor the image of the young race somehow like yep. running away into the hulk of the spaceship that's never really explained what's going on but it nope. it, it, it seems clear that somehow the bishop's claw is sending telepathic messages. or as a conduit yeah but how, yeah like, why would why why would a bishop's claw know about harry's dead son uh, yeah like i i have no idea so I'm curious to figure out, like, is that going to be explained? It wasn't explained in season one. That was one of the things left open from season one. Well, you know, when when in the scene we see the angry Bishop's Claw in the trailer, it's fighting two different people. And it, it like, fights off the first one and then turns to the second one. And it, it does it in a very, I mean, you only see a, a moment, but it still struck me as it was done in a very intentional way. Yeah. It appeared that the bishop's claw was acting with intelligence, yeah, which yeah. would support your theory. Yeah, that that the bishop's claws are either intelligent themselves or some kind of conduit for somebody else's intelligence. And and speaking of things that weren't explained, certainly the the psychic powers that Gale exhibits were not explained. Yeah, um, is she the precursor of the second foundation? Is she the precursor of the mule? We know that she's Salver Hardin's mother. We know that they're. Salver receives visions, whether they're from Gale or from someone else, we don't know. But Salvor seems to have some kind of predictive powers as well, right? Remember when she's interrogating Farah, she's able to kind of read her mind. She knows she had a, a brother. She knows she knows things she shouldn't know. She can flip coins and make them come up heads all the time, yeah. um, which would be a great skill to have. <laughs> we know, yeah, we know there's something going on there, but we don't know what. And we know that both of those characters are major characters in season two in the world. Right. Yeah, they're clearly in it for the long haul. Yep. I mean, you've got Harry is certainly a major character who I assume is some form of hologram Harry throughout. The Cleons, or at least Brother Day, we see Demerzel, and maybe characters that that we saw in the first season, like Polly Verisov or Polly Verisov Jr. or Polly the Third. <laughs> So we, there are, you know, I mean, that was something they, they consciously did when they set out to make the show was to have characters that, despite the long, long time span that Foundation covers, they wanted to have familiar characters return. And they, they found some clever ways to do it, right? They didn't do it the same way with all of them. Demerzel's a robot, so she basically is immortal. Cleon is a clone, so they can keep cloning him. And Gale and Salver go off into space at, 
at uh, relativistic speeds, I guess, or or in hypersleep. And so they move into the future and the hologram Harry is a hologram. So you know, they, they found a number of different ways to get the actors from one era to another. I'm still hoping for a return of Louis Perrin. Louis Perrin. Yes. <laughs> Maybe when they were writing the encyclopedia, he somehow encoded himself into the encyclopedia. Maybe, yeah. Oh, like they have like kind of a hollow cage match between hologram <laughs> Harry and hologram Lewis. <laughs> Put them in a UFC cage together. And Lewis can have the sundial as his weapon. <laughs> well, it does have a pointy stick. On it does. That's called the, the, the Nomen. That's right. Yeah, I have to give credit to the encyclopedists in Foundation, the book, who found out, you know, within the first 50 years that the whole encyclopedia thing was just kind of a scam. And they kept on making the encyclopedia <laughs> for the next 950 years. I mean, my hat's off to them, really, that they yeah. they didn't care. They just went ahead. Well, I mean, even if that wasn't the point, that was a good idea anyway. It was a good idea. It was a good idea. And actually, the storing of knowledge continues to be a theme in the book. That the reason why Terminus has an advantage over the surrounding kingdoms when and when they collapse is that it does maintain technology and they don't. So, you know, a, a constant theme of, of the books is how there's a technological advantage that the foundation has and how they do it with hardly any materials so that, you know, Asimov kind of predicted uh, an age of miniaturization because the foundation does it by necessity because they don't have raw materials, you know, in addition to the script writing transcriber that he predicted <laughs> the hand calculator yeah, yeah. <laughs> a few good things also not of- the sundial versus water clock we cannot we cannot put that at asimov's door so here's a question i've been pondering yes um, what because i mean there were some really distinct things about real current events in season one what do you think they're going to draw on in season two that's a very interesting question so by current events, do you... Mean- well, okay, not uh, I'm, I'm including 9-11 and global warming. Yeah, okay. But really, okay, not 9-11, yeah, it seems current to me. I'm an old guy. Like, yeah, it's, it's like it's, uh, it's 9-11 seems like just yesterday, but uh, you're right. Like it was like clearly a lot of direct reference to 9-11. Yeah, I'm, I'm still pissed about the 2000 election. So that's where, you know, that's where my... <laughs> There's going to be a giant hanging Chad, which is a major so- character in the... Oh my god, don't get me started on those friggin' chads. <laughs> it's 23 years later and I'm still sore about it. <laughs> yeah. Damn it. Exactly. Well, and, and for good reason. I don't know, Joseph. I mean, um, you know, they may continue some of those same some of those same themes. And certainly there is the authoritarianism of the empire versus the potential democracy of of uh, foundation but then that's not a new current events thing that's something that's been a theme in in fiction for a very long time yeah if the genetic dynasty is starting to fray you might start to see insurrections but i can't figure out how they, i can't figure out how they could make january 6th work even though it seems like it seems like the most obvious thing out there well i mean the foundation kind of refers to itself as an insurrection right but then, of course, it's the good guys, or I guess it's the good guys. And we did have that. We did have that question in reading the books as to whether the foundation was really the good guys or not, because of some of their behavior. But it seems clear that they're the good guys here, right? That the empire has established itself as the bad guys through murder, genocide, horrific punishments. Like the punishment of Azura is so far outside 
any justification, any balance, any appropriateness. So we we basically established Cleon as a psychopath. Mm. And then his ability to to go through the the spiral without being really affected by it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that that's just think about that. He comes out of it as though it never it never happened to him. You know, he he learns nothing, he gains nothing. Yeah, that's crazy. So that version of of Brother Day was the brother Don that we had in the first couple episodes, the little kid, right? Right. That was that was the one who witnessed the destruction of the two worlds. Right. And the and, uh, and voiced to the brother day of the time, I'm scared. Right. And then later as an adult, he confronts the then brother Dusk about it and says, I'm not gonna be the same kind of monster you were. I'm not gonna let the Empire go on my watch like you let it go on your watch. Yeah, which is and, well, I mean he he showed signs of building some compassion in that second episode when he was watching right. the, the people be hung. Yeah. And that, that he showed he turned, signs and he yeah. showed signs of building compassion when walking the spiral, but True. in neither case, apparently did he actually get any compassion? You know, that, I mean, honestly, that is really, I, I, I just thinking about that now, again, I, I just want to express my appreciation for that writing. Cause that's really, you know, any, anyone can write a, a redemption arc, Maybe not anyone. I mean, we we still like the the writers are still good writers, but like this is this is a more complex take. Like you're building a redemption arc that fails. Yeah. Right. right? And that's a really interesting kind of twist. And and it, it build, just builds the complexity of this world in in ways that really worked for me. Like I think that's one of the ways in which I think that this was a great season of TV, whatever its flaws and whatever its distance from the books. I agree. I, I think the things that stand out from season one are those times when it was extremely well written mm-hmm. yeah. and extremely well performed yeah. by the actors. Yes. We made a big deal about Kubrasate, who played Farah, who unfortunately is a character I believe will not be cloned for season two. Yeah. But it was, you know, it was characters like that. You know, she's she's an interesting character. She's 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 very bloodthirsty. Well, rightfully so. Right. And she is not interested in anything but revenge. Mm-hmm. She doesn't want to live anymore. She just wants to punish the people who, who hurt her. And, you know, she has to come right out and tell Salver that. Salver is still looking for, like, the ways in which, like, she's trying to redeem everybody, teach the Empire a lesson. And she's like, no, 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 no. That's not what I'm interested in. I just want to kill as many of them as possible. And and normally when you have a character like that in movies or TV, they're just one-dimensional, simple, baddie. But but this character, even though she has that kind of revenge bloodlust, is still in many ways a complex and sympathetic character. And I, I really just appreciated that so much. Yeah, and really it's her second in command who carries on the redemption arc. Yeah. Yeah. Because he has a daughter and he wants her to live. He wants to create a, a new thing that she Farah has just completely given up on. Yeah, so that that, you know, to me that was what was good about season 1. The those performances and the writing of those performances were, were exceptional. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of those characters who we loved so much really really have no basis in the books. Yeah. 
the only Anacreonians we see in the books are like Weenus and his nephew, who are not particularly sympathetic characters. Um, yeah, and everybody you know, else is a cipher, is a puppet. Yeah, there are not a lot of characters like that in uh, in the books, and and so yeah, so although we kind of complain that the that the TV show deviated so much from the books, also it gave that gave us some of our our greatest enjoyment in watching the show were the were those times when they just created new things and and filled them out yeah. although i will say i was disappointed by the diminution of lord dorwin because <laughs> not even books, a speech impediment in the books he was such a glorious fop with this was a ridiculous speech impediment i know you know he's just like some lieutenant muscular guy gets sent off blows some things up gets blown up gets shot and that's it also provided for us one of the most ridiculous things which is that they shot down his ship it blew up yeah. killed everyone but him <laughs> and somehow that was what the anacreonians plan was right yeah. <laughs> these are people who are walking around with bows and arrows <laughs> but they can shoot down the emperor's ship that way I, you know the you know it, that made no sense it's a really good bow <laughs> it's a really really good bow. i mean uh, uh, fair enough they had like a huge artillery piece that they shot it down with but still Yes. To know that Dorwin and no one else would survive that explosion, just, just you know, I don't care how strong his personal shield might have been, or or uh, how how thick the plot armor was around his cabin, <laughs> which is, by the way, a joke I've made before. I, I don't know, uh, I don't know how he, they, how they could have planned that. That that was just because they they really needed him, right? Because they needed him to get through the defenses on the on the Invictus. The four hundred year old defenses on the Invictus. Yeah. That was a bit strange, and it still responded to him as a an official of the Empire. Like, how did it get the updates as to yeah. who was made into an official of the Empire? Like, did they just broadcast that out? Hey, any old four hundred year old battleships that are still around, this guy has just been promoted to official of the Empire. So, if you ever contact him, <laughs> you know, don't kill him. Yeah. yeah, the Invictus is just like this, like this massive lost high-tech plot device that was developed several hundred years ago and has been roaming the galaxy ever since and suddenly they get get hold of the amazing miraculous plot device when it comes well and the idea that harry predicted that and worked it into the plan i mean i thought that psychohistory was social science the random movements of a of a jumping around battleship that that was really weak yeah. And then they, they threw that in. They asked him how he knew. And he said, oh, wow, that was the first thing I predicted. And that that just no. made no sense. No, because it, 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 at best, it was running a pseudo random number generator to figure out where it was going next. And you can only predict those if you know the program and you know the seed. Right. The yeah. seed. Yeah. <laughs> Your pseudo random. <laughs> Very small audience of people who's going to understand what, what you're talking about there. Sorry. But anyway, um, well, it's okay. I mean, even in the book where they do find, you know, the Anacreonians find an Imperial battlecruiser, one, it's not really necessary. The Anacreonians were probably going to attack the Foundation anyway, which was what Mayor Hardin realized when he agreed to refurbish the ship for the Anacreonians. Again, I'm referring to the events of the book. Um, it was pretty thin anyway, because it, you know, really giving them that ship should have changed the timeline of when they were going to attack the 
the foundation and Harry had still predicted it like to the minute. Mm -hmm. But, you know, that was psychohistory. We just sort of took that. We just waved our hands over it when we read the book. But the idea that he could use the same techniques of psychohistory to predict the Invictus and somehow know that a small, hardy group of adventurers was going to be able to get onto the Invictus and and rescue it in time. I, I don't know. It, it was, yeah, that, that was pretty thin to me. They, they could have done a better job with that story. Well, it kind of comes down to them, right? I mean, the, the, the same sort of thing was, I mean, there's actually, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing a link here and that they're, they're just, they're bad at math. Well, because, right, I mean, if, you, if you think that you can blow up a starship and one particular guy who you pick out is going to be able to survive, you know very, very little about probability, you know very, very little about randomness. Very, very little about explosions. Very, very little about explosions. You know, I mean, and then the Invictus thing is sort of the same thing. It, it, that felt like something where they said, well, we have a, a thing that's important to the plot and we need to very quickly get it to the right place at the right time. And we just don't have time to develop that story. So we're just going to we're just going to throw that one away. We're just going to say, oh, yeah, I, I predicted that. I called that. Right. So, again, you know, we come back down to the best parts of season one of Foundation were the characters and the and the the way they were written. The events of the story, you know, not not so great. Some some of them. Remember that they spent a lot of time on the Anacreonians battling the Foundationers. You had a 10, a 10 show season and a good two solid shows of it were battles between Foundationers and Anacreonians. It seemed like a lot. It seemed like you're using a lot of very limited airtime. And so that's why I think that the middle of season one dipped a bit and then it picked up again at the end. Yeah, that also coincided with COVID, so that probably oh, yeah, right. written some stuff out. But then was this thing was completely in the can before the writer's strike, right? Well, they did say, yeah, oh, definitely. This was definitely in the can before the writer's strike. I don't know about season three. Season two, um, I, yeah, I'm pretty sure that they were they were in at the very at the very back end of the editing process. Yeah, I think it's been in the can. It's been complete, it's been complete for a while. Season yeah. two. Yeah. Season three will likely be delayed. Delayed at the bad season best. Two was, season two wasn't, you know, they weren't rushing to get that out. No. No, it was surprising how long it took, although it's a big high tech and you know, a lot of special effects and a lot of stuff done in post-production, which takes a long time. You know, it's I, I think back to this conversation that we've just had, and we haven't talked that much about season two. I, I think it's because we haven't really been given that much. You know, we, we have yeah. these trailers, which are fast cut, where the scenes that we're seeing are potentially out of order, may not mean anything. It, it does look like the best we're going to get in terms of references to the books are it's a war between the foundation and the empire. Yeah. Or cause I'm like, I, 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 um, thinking back to that, that episode of our podcast that I just listened to, or all of the stuff that we see is in episode one. And we really have no idea what's coming after that. Well, that that's possible. And I think that was more or less true of the first, the trailer for season one. Yeah. Most we actually of the events in that trailer actually were in, in episode one. Yeah. We talked about that. If yeah, no, I know. Seeing, I, I, I thought we had predicted any... that, but then it turned out to be true. But yeah, maybe that's true. Maybe maybe what we're just seeing is is stuff that's all in the first episode. I I don't know, but I don't suspect we're going to see a lot of episodes about relations between traitors and planets and, and that kind of political machinations. I think we're going to see a lot more pew, pew, boom, boom kind of. <laughs> yeah, I, I, th I think that's tricky because if they want to, 
they want to pull out all the stops, they could completely they could completely alienate most of the Asimov fans at the at the same yeah. time. I think that ship has sailed. At this yeah. point, if you're an Asimov fan and you are, you know, so dedicated to the books, you've already given up Fair on foundation. Fair enough. And the best you're getting is the people who are saying, well, I just consider the books and the TV show two totally different properties. And, you know, the TV show is fun, so I'm watching it, but I'm not really looking for correspondence right. with the book. And, you know, to be fair, the reason why it took them so long to make a TV show slash movie out of foundation is the great difficulty in translating this kind of story into a, a TV show people want to watch. All of the stuff that Asimov did off camera, all of the scenes of two people in a room intellectually discussing things you know you had to make some changes yeah because otherwise it's really more suited to a, a stage play a la our our town <laughs> <laughs> conversation between harry and the vault that's right various people come to visit him <laughs> we'll just bring this chair out and sit on it <laughs> <laughs> well you know and, and they they keep on performing our town it's probably the most performed play by high school companies mm. In the history of the United States, I can't think of anything that I've seen more often or that I've seen advertisement. Like, like they like to do guys and dolls, you know. <laughs> they like to do our town when they're when they want to do something serious that makes people cry. Well, I guess we're at that point where we we gotta give our get our last licks in what yes. we're what we're hoping for, what we think we're gonna see. Last zingers to David Goyer. <laughs> Yeah. All, in fun, those if we want. all in fun yeah. please come on our podcast <laughs> we will recant everything we just said <laughs> yeah absolutely you're a genius uh, anything anything uh anything we haven't said that needs to be said i don't know uh, mm -hmm. maybe one last thing of what are, what we're hoping for sure what are you hoping for joseph you know something that i can connect to the books in a meaningful way okay dan i am hoping for episode one to have a long beautiful mother daughter talk on empty synax <laughs> where our, our two heroines get to know each other a little bit maybe watch a hugh grant movie together yes. and then uh we can see if they pass the bechdel test yeah um, yeah don't talk about any men and then somehow find a logical and reasonable way off the planet since i think we left them stranded there it does seem that way yeah, yeah. so we we do know that they get off the planet yeah <laughs> but they do seem to be stranded <laughs> there so that's an interesting question i would like them to continue having interesting characters that are well written and compelling i'm afraid that once they start fighting a war there's going to be a lot of shouting and explosions and bloodstained faces and people screaming and groaning and not so much of the sort of very interesting stuff we got out of the Cleons and Gale and Salver and you know all those other characters Farah who is a minor character I hope they I hope they give us more of that and I my fear is that they're they're not going to that, that David Goyer is going to revert to his kind of Marvel comics background and hey. <laughs> you know what i mean mcu yeah, I I mean. marvel movies or maybe he even predated the mcu i'm not sure which which movies he made but you know a lot of explosions and a lot of superficialness and not a lot of kind of interesting things that make you think so i'm, I'm hoping for more of that 
Yes. You know, that, yeah, now you've got me worried because I'm thinking about seasons six and seven of West Wing where they they lost Aaron Sorkin and they didn't have anybody capable of writing the Aaron Sorkin stuff that made the first four seasons so successful. And so they just went into the, the election story because that was easier to write. Well, let us hope that that does not happen here in season yeah. two of Foundation and that we get a show that remains fun to watch and that still gives us the interesting characters that we got in season one and maybe some connection to the book would be nice something throw us a bone yeah give us hober mallow give us bell rios give us lathan devers explain to us why lathan devers eventually dies in like a slave mine i asimov just threw that in and we you know we noticed it when we when we read it and what the heck was that all about that's why i want to see lathan devers in a slave for lathan devers I suspect we're not going to see him. Slave mine or no. All right, then. Well, when next you hear from us, we will be talking about the first episode. Are they, do we, do we know they're going to, are they going to just do them one at a time or are they going to do what they did last time, which is show us two episodes the first week? I, I don't think we've been told. I don't know. Well, whatever we get the first week, our next episode of the podcast is going to talk about that or those episodes. And we are going to be as brutally honest as ever. And we are hoping, with all of our fingers and toes crossed, that it's going to be at least as good, if not better, than season one. Absolutely. Our podcast has improved with every season. At least the least the show could do is follow our lead. Well, that brings this week's episode to a close. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, Subscribe and give us a like and a positive review on your favorite platform. You can also visit our website at starsendpodcast.wordpress.com, where there's always additional content. Our music, used by a Creative Commons license, is It Is Coming by Alex Mason. Also, follow us on Twitter, at Stars End Podcast. Goodbye for now from the galactic capital of Trantor. This is where the stars end. <laughs>